Would you pray with me? Jesus, our, our Savior and our friend, our elder brother, the one who crushes the head of Satan, has crushed, is crushing, will forever. Would you meet us here in this good news, this evangel, this gospel? Would you help us to cling to these things, having heard all that Paul has shared with us in Romans? Lord, would you help us to continue to walk this road again and again? We need it. We confess our need to you and we ask that you would meet us here and whatever is going on in our lives, that you would speak the truth in love to us. Root out wickedness, sin, and brokenness. Do surgery on our hearts, but build us up. Make us healthy and whole and useful for the sake of your kingdom and for your glory, we pray. Amen. So imagine you had a treasure. A treasure, and I don't mean, you know, your favorite uh, record on vinyl or grandma's jewels. Those things might indeed be a treasure, but I mean, something really worth fighting for, laying down your life for. For some of you, perhaps it would be your kids or your grandkids. For some, it'd be your wife and maybe even a husband or two in this room. <laughs> Amen. To what extent would you go to guard that treasure? What would you do? What would be worth the cost to guard that thing that you love so dearly? And the other day I, I came home, no one was at my house, just me and my, my cockapoo. And I heard rumbling downstairs, garage door was open. And I, I kind of freaked out for a second. Has this ever happened to anyone else? Like, I thought maybe someone was trying to get into my house. My house? I don't know why. We don't have much. But, you know, I, I immediately found myself with my heart racing on the verge of giving myself a condition, fork in one hand, essential oil in the other, <laughs> to ward off, ward off the hooligans. You know, I don't know. And it was just this thought of like, man, if my, if my kids were home, if my wife was home, I mean, there, there really isn't any extent that I wouldn't go to, to guard the things that are most dear and most precious to me. So we come to the end of Romans, and we wrap up the book of Romans, which is really a letter to a church in Rome with all kinds of issues, just like ours. But a powerful and beautiful Savior, just like ours. And this morning's message is an invitation for us to take the gospel, the good news given to us in 16 chapters of Romans and continue to ask the honest questions. Will we, will we be honest about ourselves and what we need? Will we be honest about not only the nature of that need, but who or what can meet that need? And will we look to a Savior even as we, you and me, pastors and people, everyone in between, continue in the process of life to wrestle with our sin. So we're wrapping up Romans, and I'm, I'm a little sad, actually. It's kind of like coming to the end of a really good movie, or better yet, when you come to the end of a great book. 
I know a few of you have felt that way. You get to the end of a book and you're like, no, there's a little grief that it's done. You're wishing that perhaps the author had included a few more chapters. And this has been a a great adventure there and back again in the grace of God. This four-part symphony where Paul, the apostle, shows us this is who you are, this is what you need, and this is all that Christ has done for you. It's interesting then that Paul ends Romans, I wonder if you noticed this, with an apostolic admonition. That is, speaking with his full authority, he exhorts now and admonishes and warns the church. He gives a final appeal, a warning to us who have heard the gospel that we might watch out to not lose it. Guard this good news. Guard it with your life, with a fork and lavender if necessary. Guard it with everything you have. Why? Because what is this gospel? We've we've heard now for 16 chapters, this gospel is not religion. It's not found in the self-help section of Barnes & Noble. Nor is it a credit card called grace, which then gives us the freedom to be, you know, autonomous floating nations in the church and do whatever we please, whenever we please, because we're forgiven. No, this gospel is the free and sovereign gift of our gracious God, of His one and only Son, who is our Savior, our anointed Messiah, And we get it as a gift by faith alone. Not only the forgiveness of sins, but the given and imputed and granted righteousness of Christ himself. Here's a quote to summarize by Pastor Scotty Smith. That is a pastor name if I've ever heard one. Scotty Smith, Nashville pastor, says it this way. The gospel means that we find us in Christ and Christ in us. It means that those, Romans 1, 7, who are loved and called are fully known in that love and completely called and sustained. There is no condemnation for our sin and Jesus' righteousness is now our own. We are the ones who are adopted by Abba, our Father, and married to Jesus, our Lord. Confident that the Spirit's sealing indwelling and intercession is sufficient to unify us as a church and to bring us home. If that's true, there is a reason to be here today. If that's true, there is a reason to be in this building today together with the challenges of our life, with the differences that we share brokenness and wounds from our past. If it is true that Jesus has come and died for sins and to raise us from the dead with the full power of his own righteousness to herald through this body the new creation and the new kingdom, the new city and the new world as we are filled and leave and go to love our neighbors in Santa Fe, there's reason to be here today. That's why Paul is so jealous for his children these children in Rome that he's never even met. He's so jealous for them to remember that they are loved and called. To not lose the gift 
that they have been given. It's, you can almost hear Paul here. Don't lose the gift. You never graduate from this. You never graduate into deeper matters. In fact, it's, it's the opposite. The more that you study the Old Testament and the depths of the New, the more you see that, yes, all these things are fulfilled in Christ. So his main point and our conclusion, guard the gospel. Guard the gospel. Let's start with why. <laughs> why, why do we need to strive so hard to guard the gospel? Why is this so important? Why couldn't Paul just say, look, you heard it, you read it. I mean, they probably would have read, can you believe this? The entire letter to the church in Rome in one sitting. So I don't want to hear anything about sermons being too long. Some dude would have stood up and read the entire letter. So why does Paul end with this? We want to ask ourselves, like, bro, to put it in my parlance, did you even Romans? Did you even read the last 16 chapters? This is not a grumpy buzzkill of some itinerant preacher fearful of what might become of the flock he longs to shepherd. No, this is the realism of a man who understands that we all suffer from gospel amnesia. We are very quick to forget it for ourselves, much less those around us. And so Paul wants us to remember and recall what we have heard, to continue to acknowledge that yes, we are in Christ, and the old man is being put to death. The new man is coming to life. But man, we're sinners. We're sinners, as, as Martin Luther so wonderfully said. And I quote, perhaps too frequently, we are hopelessly meritorious. We, we are so prone to hear the gospel and then seconds later turn around and forget it and go back to the, to the vomit of the law, a dog returning to its vomit, as if there's something in the law itself that can save us. And then getting frustrated because we tried and God didn't keep his end of the bargain, we swing the pendulum from law to license. Now I'll just do what I want because what's the point anyway? Paul knows our tendency to do that. We are being recreated in the image of God through Christ, and yet still we struggle with sin as we walk this earth. Sin does not mean you are as bad as you could be, or the world is as bad as it could be, and we should all walk around like a bunch of moping Eeyores, you know, preaching our pessimism from the mountaintops. No. What it means is that ultimately, if it were not for God's grace, if He did not intervene, if He did not resurrect dead people, that we would ultimately, and at the end of the day, love ourselves more than we love anything else and be about our own glory more than anything else, and make ourselves our own gods. That's what it means to be a sinner. It's a simple admission. And if you're a Christian this morning, this is, this is the heart of our gospel. If you're not a Christian, I'm so glad you're here because this is actually good news. I can't save myself means I don't need to earn my way to God and have guilt and shame heaped upon me when I fail at being sufficiently religious. No. It's the simple admission that even a child can articulate, I cannot save myself. And so I just want to ask us this morning, do we, do we feel our need of Jesus? 
Do we feel our need of Jesus? That when we look at our lives, is it, is it enough that I have, you know, these degrees on the wall? Or these friends, or this spouse, or this amount of money in my emergency fund, so come what may, I'm covered. Those aren't bad things. But most of you in this room have lived enough life to know that none of them are sufficient to save. So you have to understand, Romans 1 through 3 isn't set out to destroy us. Oh, you're all sinners, Jews, Gentiles, everybody alike. Instead, it is meant to humble us so that we are ready to receive the cross of Christ. That's why I love that, that in this church, and thanks whoever helped design it, we, we get to stand and, and sit under this cross every Sunday. I love the tree that changes its colors with the seasons too, but I love the cross even more. I love the cross because it's a reminder to me and to the church in Rome that everyone is laid low in their need for Christ. How is it possible that Jews and Gentiles can get along? How is it possible that people of different backgrounds and ethnicities and socioeconomics can get along? What could possibly unite us amidst our differences and preferences? It's the cross. And so the reality of our sin never ends with guilt. It's never any less than realizing that we have offended truly in thought, word, and deed a holy God, but it never ends there. Guilt in the cross leads us to grace. And grace forgives and heals and raises from the dead. And overflows then in a life and in a corporate life of gratitude. That's why we need to guard the gospel. Because the moment that you asked Jesus to be your Savior and acknowledged that he was the king, you didn't just float away into heaven like Enoch. And now you're without sin and without problem and you're basically perfect. No, you're still human, all too human. We need His grace as much as we ever have. In Romans chapter 4 through 8, Paul wants us to remember that as sinners we are prone to substitutes. As John Calvin wisely said, our heart can be like a factory of idols. Or to quote Psalm 64 I was reading recently, and I, I love what the psalmist says. He's speaking about his enemies, and he says, yes, my enemies, they're complex. They're schemes and their hearts run deep. It's not a compliment. <laughs> oh man, you're so deep. No, it's not a compliment. It, it, it's saying to, to us that, man, in our brokenness, in, in the broken things that have shaped us, there's, there are things deeply in there that God wants to excavate that are hard and painful to get out. That we're prone to substitutes. And that's why Paul's thrust here in the exhortation is about false teachers. And I'll say this about myself, although I don't want to lose my job. Because I am not the Christ and neither are you. We must always be on guard. We must never get away from the book. We must never get away from the Holy Spirit working through the Word of God to trim and prune the vine to bear healthy fruit. Paul says, look, you've heard all of these beautiful things about the gospel of Jesus, and now watch out. Be careful, because he knows. He's already planted a bunch of churches that as soon as they read the letter and leave, there's going to be false teachers who want to sneak in 
with serpentine words, with perfected oratory, with the ability to sound cool and attractive and right to you because they're tickling exactly the appetites and desires that your heart deeply longs to have assuaged. False teachers rarely give themselves away easily. Did you know that? They sound right. And yet Paul says it's an ever-present danger in our own souls to believe false teaching and to appropriate it for ourselves. We need to be careful. We need to guard the gospel. If we don't, he tells us what's going to happen. Splinter cells. Divisions. This camp over here, we're about this. This group over here, we're about that. And Paul says, no, that divides the bride of Christ. It lops the arm and the leg straight off. It doesn't preach the truth about who Jesus is to the world. And so it's almost as if Paul is hearkening back here to Matthew chapter 10. Be wise. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Don't let anything turn you away from Christ. You can add nothing to the gospel, nor should you take a single thing away. And in Romans 13 through 14, Paul shows us that sometimes we're even prone to use the the freedom we have in that grace to serve ourselves, to make disputable matters or preferences the main thing. And they are not the main thing. Perhaps it's good for us to reread Romans and do some soul searching. Where do we see our need for the cross in all of life? Where do we see functional saviors and false substitutes? Where are the things that we are clinging to to save us that we know cannot save? Who do we need to reconcile with? If the church is so real, and if the gospel is so real, and if Jesus is so real, and you bunch of weirdos all believe it's so real, then who do we need to reconcile with? I'll tell you this, when I get in a fight with someone I love, even though I know I'm right, The absolute wrong thing to do is to come in a posture of pride and self-justification with a list of syllogisms explaining my rightness. No, in fact, servant leadership in the gospel of Christ means that even if you're 99% right to their one, you take the posture of cross-bearing and humility and you look them in the eyes and you say, I'm sorry I've offended you. Will you forgive If we can't do that, man, we are not a church. I'm sorry, but that's like, that's baseline for the Holy Spirit of God alive in the hearts of His people. And I struggle to do it just like you. This week I read an article on churchleaders.com. I should stay away from such things. The article was about, it's called 41 Signs of Pride. 41 signs that you suffer And struggle with the sin of pride. Well, when I got to number 40 and had checked every single box, I didn't know if I had it in me to read number 41. I mean, here's my point. Here's Paul's point. As those who suffer with gospel amnesia, we need to have a realistic appropriation of of ourselves. We need to be honest about these struggles so that we can deeply receive Christ's help in each and every one of them. We need to be bold enough and brave enough in community to ask the question, 
What leads us away? What, what idols in the 21st century, 2019, United States of America, beautiful place, wonderful place, best place that's ever been. What things tend to turn our eyes from Christ to other hopes, to other joys, to other promises? Where do we see the danger of diluting the promises of God? Paul moves us from the why, which having read Romans is rather obvious to the how. And here I think he, he hits on two really important things. The first is that we do have a responsibility to watch out. We need to guard this gospel by practicing the guarding of it in this community. I love that the church is to be a hospital. Would you guys pray with me? Could we pray for 2020? Could we pray that this place would be more of a hospital? More of a place where those who are hurting and in need and messed up can come and, and receive help? Not condemnation? You know, you went to the emergency room with a broken arm. Oh, yeah, name, date of birth. Okay, good. Why'd you do that to yourself? Ridiculous. Ridiculous. And yet, is the church not that way so often? I see it in my own heart. Would you pray with me that maybe in 2020, the Lord would bring more people to this church who are hurting and broken and what they need is nothing inside of themselves that can save themselves. But they need to hear good news that there is one who has died for all of it. And there's a bunch of people who believe that. Who are actually willing to walk alongside them slowly and long suffer with them carefully. And, and, and be physical therapists until healing comes. And not rush it. We need to watch out. And watch out doesn't mean that we, we look upon one another with suspicion, but we understand that we're each in a process of being sanctified, made holy, set apart for the use and the gifts of God that He has given us. We're here to build each other up. And Paul said there's two big things you need to watch out for. The first is division and then doctrine. Division and doctrine, and the gospel has such a great answer for both. First of all, we are united in no preference but in Christ. That's why in our tradition, the reformers have always spoken about and spoken loudly about reformed Catholicity. That is why when we confess the Apostles' Creed with millions of other Christians around the world every Sunday in many different languages, we say that we believe in one holy Catholic lowercase c church because we are reformed Catholics. Catholic means universal. We're a part of the universal church. And as much as I have love and appreciation and respect for denominations, there will be none in heaven. There will be no secret handshakes and pointy hats and white smoke rising and Presbyterian Scottish clans fighting over which color of tartan they like better. <laughs> there will only be all of us gathered around the throne of Jesus. Can you imagine from every tribe and tongue and nation? Praising God and being unified in the only thing that can unify, Christ himself. So we are people of unity. And because it's only Christ that unifies, we have to learn to discern anything that threatens that gospel. 
Jesus plus anything will ultimately come to nothing. There is nothing there for you that saves. Jesus plus anything will ultimately come to nothing. We cannot add a single drop of blood to the finished work of our Savior. We're a unified people and we're also people of doctrine. Paul says, be careful, watch out. Watch out for teaching and doctrine. Now, that doesn't mean be doctrinaire. I think if you've come to Christ Church for a little while, you know we're not doctrinaire. In fact, we did that funny little poll a while back. I don't think I did it in the second service, but let's do it now. Y'all missed out. It was only in the first service. Let's do it now. If you have a background in the, quote, PCA or Presbyterian Church in America, if you have a background in the PCA, raise your hand. All right, all six of you. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> Woo! Now look, I'm in the PCA because I want to be. Denominations are fallible. I appreciate our denomination. I'm, I'm glad to be a minister in the Presbyterian Church in America. I'm glad for checks and balances on power, and so are you. That's what it means to be Presbyterian. But man, the only thing that can unify us is the true teaching of the Word of God which points us to Christ. We need the truth. We need to be people of the book. We need to know what God says. We need time with Jesus in prayer in the Word. And what I love about the, the letter to the church in Rome is that th this is an admonition to ordinary people. You must understand, Paul is not tacking this on at the end for, quote, the pastors. These are ordinary people. How many of the folks listed off in John's sermon last week had been to seminary? I will show you precisely how many. That's why my job and, and John's job and, and the work of the elders is not to do everything. Even if all we had were the people in the front row, I still wouldn't be able to do it all. No, no, the, the work of the pastor is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. It's so that ordinary people, ordinary people trusting the truth of God can serve the Lord. And in that, the Holy Spirit will work through us in power. Again, I was convicted as I read this. If Paul wrote a letter to Christ Church Santa Fe, would your name be mentioned? Would mine? Are we known? Are we serving? Are we loved? Are we a part of what God is doing here? Again, the, the, I intend no, no hate and no condemnation with this because we live in a day and age when we are pulled in a million different directions at every age and stage of life. But let me just challenge us. Lovingly, as our pastor, let me challenge us. And I'm all over this text. So it's for me too. If our lives are too busy to be like the ordinary Romans, conquering division, loving doctrine, serving the church, if we're too busy, that might be the Holy Spirit saying it's time to recalibrate. I am not asking you to be in 48 different Bible studies. Please do not do that. The last thing we need is like souped up, super religious Christian people who live in a bubble. We need people who are filled with the grace of God going out into Santa Fe, opening up their tables to their neighbors. But man, folks, I feel like we need to consider these questions. 
I think if the Holy Spirit is going to work through the gifts that He's given us as the church, we need to, we need to take the restrictor off. And I wonder if you would agree with me and pray with me that we want this. I've been thinking a lot about the new year. I, I, want, I want to see the Holy Spirit of God work in and through us in ways that, that we go, it had to be God. It had to be God. You know, no, no amount of funding and finance and preachers and good-looking congregation and no amount of any of that could have done this. This had to be the work of the Holy Spirit. An example of this for me recently, just feeling the power, as it were, was, uh, has to do with my shower at home. My brother Matt in the back row helped me out with this. I was complaining to him at, at dinner about how the shower's okay, but the water pressure isn't great. And I'm like, you know, look, I can barely change a light bulb. He's very handy. And I, one thing I learned is that you don't touch anything that has to do with water, Okay. <laughs> And he kind of looked at me and goes, bro, all you need to do is just take the restrictor off. What? <laughs> what? And I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. I mean, what like, amazing tool set will this require? He's like, bro, screwdriver. All you need. Pull the thing off. Look for a deal with a hole. Pop it out. My life has been forever changed. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you. Now it is every day in the Schnee Spa of glory back massage, and like, you know, before you get on me about the water and all that, I don't, if I'm doing anything wrong, do not tell me, because I will not change. I am free man in the shower now, but man, it, that is what I long for the Holy Spirit to do here, and if we ever move away from the gospel, it's a thousand different restrictors that, that we put on the work of God in this place. That's why we have to guard the gospel. It's not just negative, it's positively removing every restrictor so that the Holy Spirit can, can do what he's promised to do, which is that if Jesus Christ will be lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. Not because we're good enough and smart enough and have it all together and prim and proper and collared shirts and Sunday mornings, but because Jesus is our Savior and our help. And there is good news. That's why Paul ends with such gushing praise, this longer-than-normal doxology that he begins with now to him who is able. We know we need to guard the gospel. We know that we sin in thought and word and deed, and we know that we struggle. And we even know how. We, we, we hear, you know, watch out. Avoid false teachers. Be careful. Be wise. Discern. Push back against the bad fruit of division. Love healthy doctrine. But the best news of all in this passage is that even as we strive to guard the gospel, it is God who is able. It is God who crushes the head of Satan underfoot. It is God who does it all from first to last. It is God's son Jesus who is the head of the new humanity who is the head of Abraham's family, who is the just and justifier, who is the one who fulfills all prophecy, who is the second Adam himself, who is God's Messiah, not just for a group of ethnic Jews, but for the entire world. So as we strive to guard the gospel, because we must, here's the best news of all. 
It's Jesus in the gospel who guards you. It's Jesus in the gospel who guards his children. And so Paul's prayer is answered. There and back again. He began with Romans 1.7. Grace to you. And he ends with Romans 16.20. Now grace is with you. Literally, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through these words, the presence and power of Jesus Christ is with you. You guard the gospel, and guess what? The gospel is already, by faith alone, guarding you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, We have this treasure in jars of clay, a treasure worth dying for, a gospel worth guarding, the gospel wherein our great and glorious God uses His glory, uses His glory to lift up the weak and the broken, to give us a free gift, the gospel that guards us. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this good news. We hear the admonition. We want to do the hard work of asking, okay, where, where do we need? Where do we need to be honest about being brought low so that we might be lifted up by the cross? Lord, show us, would you now, even as we hear this song of reflection, where are their substitutes? Where am I trusting my friends and my finances or the fun things I do on the weekend post about on Monday? Where am I substituting dopamine for salvation? Lord, help us to watch out. We ask for your help in these things. We, we humble ourselves before you. But even in that humility, you come and lift up our heads. You say, it is finished. The work is done. Even as we strive and long to respond to grace with thanks and guard this gospel, all the way down, it is the gospel that is guarding us. Oh, Lord. Now to you who are able, to you who are able to do all of this, may you receive glory forever. Amen.